Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Today's episode is cross-posted from our friends at MedBullets. MedBullets is like a social network where you can post questions and get immediate answers from their community experts. Their trusted review topics guide you to the most commonly tested concepts, and their top-rated QBank has thousands of USMLE-style questions updated monthly. Plus, they have their own podcast where you can hear more episodes like this one. So, be sure to check out MedBullets.com and get in on the action. Welcome back to the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of substance intoxication and withdrawal from the psychiatry section on MedBullets.com. Let's start with a quick overview about substance intoxication and withdrawal. So in general, most addictive drugs act on the dopamine mesolimbic reward pathway. Withdrawal symptoms are often the opposite of intoxication. For example, midriasis and meiosis with opioid intoxication. Know that depressant withdrawal is generally more life-threatening than stimulant withdrawal. Substance use is typically denied or underreported. Be sure to check the urine drug immunoassay to screen for substance abuse. And if the urine drug test is positive, you will need to follow up gas chromatography slash mass spectrometry assessment to confirm and quantify drug use. Finally, be sure to collect collateral information from friends slash family. In terms of drug classes, the ones to know include depressants, stimulants, and hallucinogens. Depressants include opioids, which are mu agonists, barbiturates, in which GABA-A channel opening duration is increased, benzodiazepines, where GABA-A channel opening frequency is increased, and another classic depressant is alcohol. Stimulants include amphetamines, MDMA, cocaine, caffeine, and nicotine. Hallucinogens include PCP, LSD, and marijuana. As far as general complications, know that injection drug users are at risk for right-sided endocarditis, hepatitis and abscesses, overdose, hemorrhoids, and AIDS. Now let's go over opioids, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, amphetamines, MDMA, cocaine, caffeine, nicotine, PCP, LSD, marijuana, inhalants, and alcohol in a bit more detail with a clinical snapshot before each section. So starting with opioids, consider the following clinical snapshot. A young male is brought into the emergency department by his friends who say that he is not responding to them. The patient seems extremely drowsy and has slurred speech. On physical exam, he has pinpoint pupils and his respiratory rate is 4 per minute. Now let's talk about opioids. So as far as mechanism, opioids are mu receptor agonists. Examples include morphine, heroin, and methadone. The presentation of opioid intoxication can include constipation, but keep in mind there is no tolerance to this side effect, respiratory depression, which is life-threatening and specific to opioids, pupillary constriction, which will manifest with pinpoint pupils, seizures, and therefore know that opioid overdose is life-threatening, and finally know that for heroin use, look for track marks, which are suggestive of needle injections. Treatment of opioid intoxication is pharmacologic, for example, naloxone, and symptomatic treatment as well as observation. Naloxone is an opioid receptor antagonist, Remember that opioid withdrawal is not fatal, it is just unpleasant. Keep in mind that naloxone can cause pulmonary edema. As far as symptomatic treatment and observation for opioid intoxication, this is indicated for patients who are adequately protecting the airway with no concerns for hypoxia or hypercapnia. Now let's talk about opioid withdrawal. The presentation can include anxiety, insomnia, 
anorexia, sweating, dilated pupils, and piloerection, and this presentation is often referred to as quote-unquote cold turkey. Patients may also have fever, rhinorrhea, nausea, stomach cramps, and diarrhea, otherwise known as flu-like symptoms. Patients may also have yawning, which is unpleasant but not life-threatening. Treatment of opioid withdrawal includes clonidine, methadone, as well as buprenorphine plus naloxone. So clonidine is an alpha-2 agonist that decreases norepinephrine and sympathetic output, making autonomic symptoms less intense. Know that overdose presents with somnolence, meiosis, and bradycardia. Methadone is a long-acting treatment of opioid withdrawal. Finally, buprenorphine plus naloxone can precipitate withdrawal if given too soon. Know that this is a partial mu agonist. The treatment of addiction for opioids is pharmacologic. Pharmacologic agents include methadone, suboxone, which again is buprenorphine plus naloxone, and naltrexone. Methadone is typically oral, it is a long-acting opiate, and is used for heroin detoxification or long-term maintenance. Suboxone or naloxone plus buprenorphine is a partial opioid agonist. Note that naloxone is not active when taken orally, so withdrawal symptoms occur only if injected. This is intended to prevent overdose when suboxone is injected. Finally, naltrexone is an opioid antagonist used to assist in blocking cravings for both opioids and alcohol. It should not be used for opioid overdose as it takes longer to take effect as compared to naloxone. Moving on to barbiturates, let's start off with a clinical snapshot. A patient presents to the emergency department with impaired memory, poor concentration, and extreme drowsiness. Pupils are not dilated on exam, and the patient is minimally responsive. Of greatest concern is the patient's respiratory rate of 5 per minute. Now, let's talk about barbiturates. The mechanism involves increased duration of opening of a GABA-A channel. As far as intoxication, presentation includes respiratory slash CNS depression, which can be fatal. Know that barbiturate intoxication does not have a depression ceiling in contrast to benzodiazepines. Treatment of barbiturate intoxication can be pharmacologic or non-pharmacologic. Pharmacologic management will be focused on symptom management and supporting blood pressure, while non-pharmacologic treatment includes assisting respiration and intubating if necessary. Barbiturate withdrawal will present with anxiety, seizures, and delirium. It is similar to alcohol. There may be life-threatening cardiovascular collapse, and know that barbiturates will have additive effects with alcohol. Pharmacologic treatment of barbiturate withdrawal includes a long-acting benzodiazepine with a taper, and you could also use long-acting barbiturates like phenobarbital. Now let's move on to benzodiazepines, starting with a clinical snapshot. A patient with a past medical history of panic attacks and anxiety is brought into the emergency department by her husband as she has been stuporous and has been minimally responsive and extremely drowsy. The patient's husband mentions that his wife did have a panic attack today. Now, let's talk about the mechanism of benzodiazepines. These drugs increase the frequency of opening of the GABA-A channel. Presentation of benzodiazepine intoxication includes amnesia, ataxia, stupor-slash-somnolence, and minor respiratory depression. Benzodiazepines do have a depression ceiling, unlike barbiturates, and benzodiazepines have additive effects with alcohol. Treatment of benzodiazepine intoxication can be pharmacologic with flumazenil, which is a competitive GABA-A antagonist. Although flumazenil can be used in the treatment of benzodiazepine intoxication, do not treat benzodiazepine overdose with flumazenil. In general, it is benign and the patient can sleep off the overdose. You can offer respiratory support if needed and know that flumazenil can precipitate seizures, particularly if the patient is benzodiazepine dependent. 
The presentation of benzodiazepine withdrawal includes rebound anxiety, life-threatening seizures and tremor, which are most commonly from short-acting benzos like alprazolam, and finally benzodiazepine withdrawal can also cause insomnia. Treatment of benzodiazepine withdrawal is pharmacologic and can use long-acting benzodiazepines to taper off the dose, for example clonazepam and diazepam. Pharmacologic treatment will also focus on symptomatic treatment. Now let's move on to amphetamines, starting with a clinical snapshot. A 25-year-old male is brought into the emergency department by his own volition as he has been unable to sleep for the past five nights and is concerned. He says that he feels as if he doesn't need sleep but came in at the request of his friend. He has been studying all night for finals and says he has been in the zone and has been unable to stay up all night with no need for sleep. Now let's talk about amphetamines. As far as the mechanism, amphetamines simulates biogenic amines like dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin release plus decreased reuptake in high doses. Amphetamine intoxication will present with mental status changes as well as sympathetic activation. Mental status changes can manifest with euphoria, impaired judgment, delusions, hallucinations, prolonged wakefulness, slash attention. Sympathetic activation can manifest with psychomotor agitation, pupillary dilation, hypertension, tachycardia, fever, and cardiac arrhythmias. The treatment of amphetamine intoxication can be pharmacologic or non-pharmacologic. Pharmacologic treatments include antipsychotics like haloperidol, benzodiazepines, vitamin C which promotes excretion, antihypertensives, and propanolol which will provide blood pressure plus tachycardia control. As far as non-pharmacologic treatments for amphetamine intoxication, be sure that you do not restrain patients as this may result in rhabdomyolysis. Now let's talk about MDMA, also known as ecstasy, starting with a clinical snapshot. A 23-year-old female is brought into the emergency department by her friends as they are concerned about her behavior. She seems more energetic than usual, and this has gone on well past the end of the rave. On exam, you see a young female in neon clothing, consumed with the colors of her outfit, and very affectionate towards you. Now, let's talk about MDMA or ecstasy in a bit more detail. The mechanism is similar to amphetamines and affects the 5-HT or serotonin pathway more than dopamine, and keep in mind that it may damage serotonergic neurons. As far as MDMA intoxication, the presentation includes hyperthermia and social closeness, which is why it's referred to as a quote-unquote club drug. MDMA intoxication may also present with hyponatremia due to increased fluid intake or antidiuretic hormone secretion. As far as treatment of MDMA, there is no specific treatment. There is symptomatic treatment only. The presentation of MDMA withdrawal includes mood offset for several weeks. As far as treatment for MDMA withdrawal, like MDMA intoxication, there is no specific treatment. There is symptomatic treatment only. Now let's move on to cocaine, starting with a clinical snapshot. A 21-year-old male is brought into the emergency department by the police for an altercation. Last night, the patient was at a party and seemed much more active than usual, according to his girlfriend. He punched another male at the party in the face, claiming that he was hitting on his girlfriend. On exam, you see an agitated young male with dilated pupils, and his pulse is 128 per minute. Now, let's talk about cocaine in a bit more detail. So the mechanism of cocaine is blocking biogenic amine reuptake. And biogenic amines means dopamine, norepinephrine, and 5-HT, or serotonin. Cocaine intoxication can present with mental status changes, sympathetic activation, and stereotyped behavior. Mental status changes includes euphoria, psychomotor agitation, grandiosity, hallucinations including tactile, and paranoid ideations. 
Sympathetic activation includes decreased appetite, tachycardia, pupillary dilation, hypertension, angina, and warm slash sweaty skin. Know that cocaine intoxication can cause severe vasospasm, which can manifest as a myocardial infarction secondary to coronary vasospasm. Know that beta blockers are contraindicated in myocardial infarction secondary to cocaine, as cocaine increases the release of catecholamines and beta blockade leads to unopposed alpha agonism, which may cause a hypertensive crisis. Sympathetic activation in the setting of cocaine intoxication can also result in placental infarction, secondary to vasospasm of the placental vessels. Sympathetic activation in the setting of cocaine intoxication can also lead to nasal septum perforation from Kieselbach's plexus vasospasm. Finally, sympathetic activation in the setting of cocaine intoxication can also lead to cerebrovascular accident or a stroke. Stereotypes behavior in the setting of cocaine intoxication means repetitive motions, for example, digging through the trash. Treatment of cocaine intoxication can be pharmacologic or non-pharmacologic. Pharmacologic treatment includes antipsychotics like haloperidol, benzodiazepines, antihypertensives like labetalol as you will need alpha-1 blockade, and vitamin C which promotes excretion. As far as non-pharmacologic treatment, like amphetamines, you should not restrain these patients as this may result in rhabdomyolysis. The presentation of cocaine withdrawal includes severe depression and suicidality, hyperphagia, hypersomnolence, fatigue, malaise, and severe psychological craving. Pharmacologic treatment of cocaine withdrawal includes bupropion, bromocryptine, and SSRIs for depression. Chronic-slash-long-term treatment includes individual and group psychotherapy. Now let's move on to caffeine, starting with a clinical snapshot. A 22-year-old college student has been studying for finals but came into the emergency department because of a strange sensation in her chest and a feeling of palpitations. She's been studying every night consuming copious amounts of energy drinks and is unsure what is going on, but is afraid that she's having a heart attack from all the stress. A segment of the girl's EKG is pointed out to you by the on-call cardiologist, and she has premature ventricular contraction, which can be seen in caffeine abuse. Now, let's talk about caffeine in a bit more detail. So the mechanism of caffeine is an adenosine antagonist, which decreases GABA activity, leading to wakefulness. Caffeine intoxication can present with restlessness or insomnia, diuresis, muscle twitching, and cardiac arrhythmias. As far as treatment, there is no specific treatment for caffeine intoxication that is symptomatic treatment only. Caffeine withdrawal can present with headache, lethargy, depression, and or weight gain. And as far as treatment, like caffeine intoxication, there is no specific treatment for caffeine withdrawal, there is symptomatic treatment only. Now let's move on to nicotine, starting with a clinical snapshot. A patient comes to his primary care physician because he has felt more anxious and irritable lately. He states that he has been very stressed out at work lately and thinks that his symptoms are attributable to the stress. He smokes one pack per day, but lately has found himself smoking up to four packs per day to ease the stress. Upon further counseling, he states he is interested in quitting and wants your help. Now let's talk about nicotine in a bit more detail. So nicotine intoxication can present with restlessness, insomnia, anxiety, and arrhythmias. As far as treatment, there is no specific treatment for nicotine, there is symptomatic treatment only. Nicotine withdrawal can present with irritability, headache, anxiety, weight gain, and craving. Treatment for nicotine cessation is pharmacologic and can include bupropion, varenicline, nicotine administration via other routes, and bromocryptine. Note that bupropion can lower seizure threshold for exam purposes. Varenicline is a partial nicotine receptor agonist and mediates partial reward of nicotine yet blocks reward of nicotine. 
This has the highest success rate of other anti-smoking drugs, particularly when stacked with nicotine patches. Now let's move on to PCP, starting with the clinical snapshot. A young man is brought into the emergency department and is attempted to assault a nurse several times. He is extremely aggressive and becomes enraged when sudden movements or loud sounds are made. The patient is escorted to a dimly lit, quiet exam room where he becomes much calmer. On physical exam, the patient is agitated and has nystagmus. His blood pressure in the ED is 180 over 100 millimeters of mercury. Now let's talk about PCP in a bit more detail. The mechanism of PCP is an NMDA receptor antagonist. Now that ketamine is a similar drug. As far as PCP intoxication, this presents with belligerence, impulsiveness, fear, homicidality, psychosis, delirium, seizures, psychomotor agitation, vertical and horizontal nystagmus, tachycardia, and ataxia. The treatment of PCP intoxication can be pharmacologic with benzodiazepines and antipsychotics like haloperidol if benzodiazepines are not adequately sedating the patient. Further management includes a low-stimulus environment and restraints if needed to prevent the patient from hurting themselves or others. As far as PCP withdrawal, the presentation includes depression, anxiety, irritability, restlessness, anergia, disturbances of thought, and sleep. As far as treatment, there is no specific treatment for PCP withdrawal. There is symptomatic treatment only. Moving on to LSD, let's start with the clinical snapshot. A 23-year-old male is brought into the emergency department by his friends at 1 a.m. They are afraid that he is going to hurt himself. They say that he has been freaking out and seeing things that are not there. At one point, he tried to ride a bike off the roof of a house. On exam, you see a young man who appears to be in a panic. His gait is abnormal, he has diffuse tremors, and his pupils are dilated. Now, let's talk about LSD in a bit more detail. The mechanism of LSD is action at the 5-HT receptor. The presentation of LSD intoxication includes visual hallucinations and synesthesias, for example, seeing sound as color. LSD intoxication can also present with marked anxiety or depression, delusions, and pupillary dilation. Patients may also present with a, quote, bad trip panic. Treatment of LSD intoxication can be pharmacologic, including antipsychotics like haloperidol, benzodiazepines, as well as talking down and supportive counseling. As far as the presentation of LSD withdrawal, there's largely no withdrawal because it does not affect dopamine. However, flashbacks can occur years later. As far as treatment for LSD withdrawal, there's no specific treatment and there's symptomatic treatment only. Now let's move on to marijuana or cannabis, starting with a clinical snapshot. A 17-year-old male is brought to his family physician by his parents due to his behavior, increased appetite, lack of motivation, and paranoia. When interviewing the patient, the physician notes a slowed speech and conjunctival injection. Now let's talk about marijuana or cannabis in a bit more detail. As far as the mechanism, marijuana binds to the CB1-CB2 cannabinoid receptors. The presentation of marijuana intoxication includes euphoria, anxiety, disinhibition, paranoid delusions, perception of slowed time, conjunctival injection, impaired judgment, social withdrawal, increased appetite, dry mouth, and hallucinations. These patients will have largely psychological effects. Marijuana intoxication can also present with amotivational syndrome and hyperemesis syndrome. As far as the treatment of marijuana intoxication, there is no specific treatment and there is symptomatic treatment only. The presentation of marijuana withdrawal can include mild symptoms of irritability, depression, insomnia, nausea, and anorexia. Know that most symptoms of marijuana withdrawal peak in 48 hours and last for 5 to 7 days. 
know that marijuana or cannabis can be detected in the urine up to one month after the last use. As far as the treatment of marijuana withdrawal, like marijuana intoxication, there is no specific treatment, there is symptomatic treatment only. Now let's move on to inhalants, starting with a clinical snapshot. A 15-year-old male is brought to the ED for aggressive behavior. This patient has been admitted to the ED many times, and the last time for abusing bath salts. He comes from a foster home and is largely unsupervised. Now let's go over inhalants in a bit more detail. The mechanism of inhalants is unknown. However, the presentation of inhalant intoxication includes belligerence, assaultiveness, apathy, impaired judgment, blurred vision, and a coma. As far as treatment of inhalant intoxication, there is no specific treatment. However, you can use antipsychotics like haloperidol if there is severe aggression. Inhalant withdrawal is not well characterized and there is no treatment. Note that abuse of other drugs are commonly seen in these patients, often from a low socioeconomic background. Now, let's end this review session talking about alcohol, starting with a clinical snapshot. A 69-year-old male presents to the emergency department with sudden, severe-onset epigastric pain that began while he was watching television. On physical exam is an unkempt male with pain upon palpation of the epigastric region. Labs are drawn, and the patient has an elevated amylase and lipase. The patient is made NPO, and an NG tube is placed, and the patient is given IV fluids. The patient is noted to be experiencing hallucinations. On his second hospital day, the patient has a seizure. Now, let's go over the differences between minor alcohol withdrawal, alcohol hallucinosis, withdrawal seizure, and delirium tremens, with respect to time since last drink, symptoms, and management of each of these conditions. So starting with minor withdrawal, time since the last drink of alcohol will be 6 hours. Symptoms of minor withdrawal include trembling, irritability, anxiety, headache, tachycardia, and insomnia. Management includes thymine, folate, a multivitamin, dextrose, and IV fluids. Alcohol hallucinosis is characterized by 12 to 24 hours as far as the time since the last drink of alcohol. Symptoms include visual, auditory, and in some cases, tactile hallucinations. Management includes benzodiazepines and or barbiturates. Benzodiazepines can include lorazepam, diazepam, which has a longer half-life, and a midazolam drip, though this is not a preferred initial agent. As far as barbiturates, you can use simple single doses that auto-tapers. However, barbiturates are preferred in very ill or highly symptomatic patients to reduce ICU admissions. Moving on to withdrawal seizure, this is characterized by 48 hours since the last drink of alcohol. Symptoms include tonic-clonic seizures. Management includes benzodiazepine tapers and a head CT. Finally, delirium tremens is characterized by 48 to 96 hours since the last drink of alcohol. Symptoms include autonomic instability, disorientation, hallucinations, and agitation. As far as management, suspect delirium tremens in a patient with an unknown history followed by delirium tremens symptoms two days later. These patients will be treated with a benzodiazepine taper. As far as the mechanism of alcoholic seizures, know that alcohol is a depressant and increases GABA-A channel opening. Know that long-term use leads to downregulation of GABA channels, which are inhibitory, and upregulation of NMDA, which are excitatory. As far as alcohol intoxication, these patients have a wide and varied presentation from talkativeness, flirtatiousness, aggressiveness, moodiness, and being disinhibited. Treatment involves securing the airway, using thymine, magnesium, multivitamin, and dextrose, particularly if the patient has chronic alcoholism, benzodiazepines in the setting of withdrawal, and addiction medications like disulfiram, which inhibits acetaldehyde dehydroxygenase and will produce aversive conditioning, naltrexone, which decreases the desire for alcohol, 
and gabapentin, which also decreases the desire for alcohol. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic can be tested. First question. A 44-year-old homeless man presents to the emergency department with slurring of his speech. He states he is planning on killing himself by jumping off a bridge and wants to come into the hospital. The patient has a history of multiple similar presentations in the past and typically elopes from the hospital the following morning. His temperature is 98.2 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.8 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 107 over 58 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 80 per minute. Respirations are 7 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 95% on room air. Physical exam is notable for pinpoint pupils, scars in the anticupital fossa, and urine smell. The patient is observed in the emergency department. The following night, the patient appears more irritable and wants to leave the hospital. He appears tremulous, uncomfortable, and covered in sweat. His temperature is 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.8 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 157 over 98 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 170 per minute. Respirations are 22 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. The patient appears confused and is restrained. An ICU bed is requested. However, it is expected the patient will be boarding in the emergency department for 24 to 48 additional hours given there is limited intensive care unit availability. Which of the following is the most appropriate management of this patient? And the choices are 1. Clonazepam 2. Clonidine 3. Midazolam 4. Phenobarbital and 5. Propofol The correct answer to this question is for phenobarbital. So this patient is presenting with a history of substance abuse, with intoxicated appearance and anticubital scars with pinpoint pupils, and roughly 24 hours later appears tremulous, sweaty, and is hypertensive slash tachycardic, suggesting a diagnosis of alcohol withdrawal. Barbiturates like phenobarbital are appropriate first-line agents for alcohol withdrawal and reduce the incidence of ICU admissions. To quickly review, alcoholics may have an obvious history of alcohol abuse, such as a homeless patient with many presentations for intoxication, or may have a more subtle presentation, such as a patient who denies drinking, but upon being admitted to the hospital, appears to withdraw 24 to 48 hours later. Alcohol withdrawal presents with irritability, diaphoresis, tremulousness, tachycardia, and hypertension. It can progress to hallucinations and seizures. The treatment of alcohol withdrawal is typically a benzodiazepine such as lorazepam or diazepam. However, for more severe withdrawal, phenobarbital is an appropriate first-line agent that does a better job controlling symptoms, self-tapers, and reduces ICU admissions. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, clonazepam, is not the mainstay of treatment of alcohol withdrawal. Benzodiazepines that are appropriate are lorazepam or diazepam. However, given that this patient is boarding in the emergency department, waiting for an ICU bed, and is profoundly tachycardic, Phenobarbital can better control symptoms and avoid a possible ICU admission, thus phenobarbital is a better answer. Phenobarbital is a simple single-dose medication that better controls symptoms and reduces ICU admissions and the incidence of seizures. It auto-tapers itself with its slow breakdown, thus controlling symptoms for days when a therapeutic level is reached. Answer 2, clonidine is an alpha-2 agonist that can decrease sympathetic outflow and reduce symptoms in opioid withdrawal. Though this patient may have presented with opioid intoxication, with pinpoint pupils, bradypnea, and anticubital scars, his current symptoms suggest alcohol withdrawal. Opioid withdrawal would present with rhinorrhea, vomiting, myalgias, arthralgias, and a flu-like presentation. Answer 3, midazolam, is a short-acting benzodiazepine that would be more appropriate for sedation or status epilepticus, but not for controlling alcohol withdrawal. 
Midazolam can be used in severe alcohol withdrawal. However, this would be given as a drip and is a short-duration benzodiazepine, which would be more appropriate for critically unstable patients or patients who have been seizing. In common practice, midazolam is rarely, if ever, used for alcohol withdrawal when compared to benzodiazepines such as diazepam slash lorazepam or phenobarbital. Finally, answer 5, propofol can be used in status epilepticus if benzodiazepines, phenytoin, and barbiturates fail to control symptoms. Otherwise, this medication could be used for procedural sedation. To leave you with a bullet summary, phenobarbital is an appropriate first-line medication for alcohol withdrawal that more effectively controls symptoms and reduces ICU admission for alcohol withdrawal. And moving on to the final question, a 25-year-old man is brought to the emergency department by paramedics for altered mental status. He was found lying down at a bus stop unresponsive. On arrival, the patient has slurred speech and is somnolent. His temperature is 98 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.7 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 80 per minute. And respirations are 12 per minute with a saturation of 97% on room air. The patient falls asleep rapidly but is arousable to voice and substernal rub. Physical exam reveals a sleeping man with meiotic pupils. He demonstrates decreased bowel sounds. He is able to state his name and knows that he is at the hospital and has an otherwise normal neurologic exam. Which of the following is the most appropriate management of this patient? And the choices are 1. Atropine 2. Disulfiram 3. Flumazenil 4. Naloxone and 5. Observation The correct answer to this question is 5. Observation So this patient is presenting with altered mental status, pinpoint pupils, and decreased bowel sounds, which are suggestive of an opioid overdose. Given his stable respiratory status and oxygen saturation without notable bradypnea, observation until the patient is clinically sober is all that is indicated. To quickly review, opioids are commonly used to treat painful conditions. In modern medicine, they have been overprescribed and have become drugs of abuse. Opioid overdose presents with bradypnea, somnolence, decreased bowel sounds, and pinpoint pupils. Any patient who is not protecting the airway Failing to oxygenate or failing to ventilate should immediately be given naloxone, which rapidly reverses the effects of the opioids. However, this precipitates withdrawal, which is unpleasant for patients and leads to nausea, vomiting, agitation, and diaphoresis, among other findings. For this reason, patients who have overdosed on opioids and are stable can merely be observed until clinically sober. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, atropine is an appropriate treatment of a cholinergic toxidrome that presents with bronchorrhea, bronchospasm, bradycardia, urinary incontinence, diarrhea, and drooling. Atropine should be administered until respiratory symptoms approve and large doses may be required. Answer 2, disulfiram, inhibits the enzyme acetaldehyde dehydrogenase, causing severe nausea, vomiting, and a very ill feeling when a patient drinks alcohol from the accumulation of byproducts. This drug is used to reduce drinking in chronic alcoholism, but has no indication in managing an acute alcohol intoxication, as it is a preventative medication. Answer 3, flumazenil, is the reversal agent for benzodiazepines. However, it's fallen out of favor as it can precipitate seizures in chronic benzodiazepine users. Any patient with a suspected benzodiazepine overdose who is protecting the airway should be observed until clinically sober, as there is no need to rapidly reverse them and possibly cause seizures. Finally, answer 4, naloxone is the antidote of choice in opioid overdose in patients who are not adequately oxygenating, ventilating, or protecting their airway. 
it is not indicated an opioid overdose in a clinically stable patient as the patient can merely be observed without the unpleasant side effects of immediate withdrawal from naloxone, including vomiting, which in some cases could lead to aspiration. This patient is oxygenating well, protecting his airway, and is not profoundly presenting with bradypnea. To leave you with a bullet summary, opioid overdose presents with somnolence, pinpoint pupils, decreased bowel sounds, as well as bradypnea, and stable patients who are adequately breathing and protecting the airway require only observation until clinically sober. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education.